Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Defy podcast season two. In this season, we're focused on entrepreneurship, leadership, business ownership, and not just about behavior analysis, but also women that are doing other types of things like fitness or tech. We promise that you're going to learn something by listening to this episode. We promise that we are going to talk about issues that are relatable to everyone, but mostly we just want to showcase all of the great stories that our guests have, all of their perspectives, all of their experiences that have allowed them to come to the place where they are today as a, a leader or a business owner. And we're going to do it with some jokes. We're going to do it with some music. And we're happy that you're here to join us. So come on, baby. Let's defy. Hey, you guys, if you can believe it, we have a real sponsor for season two of the Defy podcast. I know I'm totally excited about it. And our sponsor is Arizona Autism United, also known as AZA United. And AZA United provides comprehensive services for people with autism and their families throughout the greater Phoenix area. And AZA United was founded by one of my really close friends, Dr. Aaron Blocker Rubin. And he's pretty awesome. One of the things I really enjoy about their organization is that they understand how important it is to have clear values. And they have four of them. And I'm going to talk to you about one of them right now. And that value is this, grow with purpose. You need to grow with purpose in terms of how you grow your organization. You need to grow with purpose in terms of how you nurture your staff. And you need to grow with purpose with how you treat your families. And AZA United grows with purpose. And if you're someone that wants to grow with purpose, we welcome you to check them out. I have linked their website to the show notes. They have jobs available for people in all different job categories from behavior analysts to RBTs to administrative support. And they're pretty awesome. And not just because they sponsored this podcast. So go check out AZA United and let's get on with the show. Hey, everyone. What's up? Happy Wednesday. I'm Sarah. I'm the host of the Defy podcast. And today we decided to change it up a little bit. Why did we decide to do that? Well, number one, I like to try new things. Uh, number two, we get a lot of different questions at Defy and I get a lot of uh, questions and I realize I don't always do a great job of talking to you guys about me and stuff that's going on. And so, you know, it's drizzly in Phoenix. I know crazy, which actually means it's a hundred degrees today, which is delightful for all of us here in the sunny state of Arizona. So there's nowhere I'd rather be right now during lunchtime than with y'all. I want to remind you that if you have questions that you'd like me to answer, you can type them into the comments of this Facebook live stream, or you can type them into the comments of the Instagram live, and I will be happy to answer them. I have a whole team that you can't see right now. Mm -hmm. It's a whole team. I have my producer, Alan, uh, who helped set up this entire live stream uh, for pretty easy podcasts. By the way, if you ever want to do start your own podcast, like you need to work with Alan and Melissa. They make this an incredible experience. So they don't pay me to say this. I'm just saying it because that's how dope they are. And also Carol is monitoring uh, our Instagram live. So if you think about something, let me know. But I have a, a couple questions that I wanted to start out with. And but before I get to the questions, I just wanted to say a couple things. I'm sure you guys have been noticing on basically every news outlet in America right now that there is like a national labor shortage going on in a lot of uh, areas, especially in the hospitality industry, in the restaurant industry. And for those of us that are in behavior analysis, you've likely felt the effects of this at your organization too. It's been really hard for people to hire RBTs into organizations. It's been hard for people to hire BCBAs into organizations. Part of this, of course, is simply just a byproduct of the demand for behavior analytic services, especially for serving populations like autism. Um, the demand is far outweighs the supply. So for example, right now, I think there's about 47,000 board certified behavior analysts worldwide, but the autism rate of autism in the United States is one in 54. And so depending on the state that you live in, that likely means that there might be one behavior analyst for maybe 
150 or 200 um, potential recipients of behavior analytic service. So it's a tight labor market. And also what has been a very interesting output of COVID has been, I think, a lot of time for people to reflect on the things that they want to do in their lives, on the things that they don't want to do in their lives. And what you see happening right now is almost like a collective awakening of like, hey, I'm not interested in working at a place that I think sucks or makes me unhappy every day, so I'm not going to do it anymore. I think for also a lot of people in different industries, especially lower wage or entry level um, industries and jobs, I think it's becoming harder and harder to be able to feel like you can have the American dream, whether that's buying a house or taking a vacation to Disneyland or whatever you want to do. Um, this seems for, I think, a lot of people to be less and less available to them if they're in a lower wage job. And I think that people are fed up. And so I am very interested to see how we will respond uh, as a national kind of community of Americans. But specifically, I'm very interested in seeing how we are going to continue res to respond in behavior analysis. Another overlay to all of these labor shortages within the behavior analytic discipline is that we've all been classified as essential health workers. And so for the last, you know, 15 plus months, you guys have been providing services through the pandemic, prior to being vaccinated, through vaccinations, through constantly changing regulations and feelings and loss. And I think that this has collectively taken a toll on a lot of people. And this is really what inspired Carol, uh, my co-founder with Defy and I, to double down on looking at how can we support BCBAs in terms of burnout? Like, what is it? Uh, why are people experiencing it? And what are things that we can do, like evidence-based strategies that we can use to allow all of us to experience greater joy in work, to feel like we have something kind of left in the tank at the end of the day. Because for so many of us, I know you guys just like go home exhausted and it's like, oh my gosh, I'm just going to like sit on my couch and watch Netflix for the rest of the night. How do we continue to take care of ourselves in the midst of the work that we do? And so a lot of the questions that I'll be answering today will be focused on that. But this is also going to be part of a, a much larger conversation that we will be helping to guide our, our members through, guide our, our listeners through over, you know, the upcoming, you know, months and, and hopefully years, because it's also nothing that is going to go away anytime soon. Burnout isn't a problem. It's an obstacle. When you work in a human services industry with a vulnerable population and work within family systems that are are stressed out, um, that have a lot of other things going on in their lives, that is emotionally exhausting, no matter if you work at the best place ever. And it doesn't mean that you can't care about the, the families that you work with. It, can't, it doesn't mean that you don't care about the children that you serve or, or your coworkers, but it fundamentally means that individual providers need to establish self-care repertoires, skills, um, and strategies that can allow them to show up every day in this very demanding work and be well while they do it. And that's what we're going to be working on in Defy. Again, burnout is an obstacle, not a problem, but there are strategies there are, there are plenty of great evidence-based literature in the military, in other medical professions to really help all of us be well in the work that we do. But like, come on, this is a live stream and like, I don't want this to be like totally serious. So we're going to intersperse some, some fun questions along with some more serious questions. So let's start with a fun question. And this is from uh, one of our Defy members, Christine. And she said, Sarah, what is your favorite hip hop song? And you guys, I had to really think about this because any of you guys that know me know that I have a deep undying love for hip hop. I have been listening to rap since the late eighties um, because I am a dinosaur in the field of behavior analysis. And I have watched it, you know, evolve from this kind of like fringe, you know, kind of musical, you know, genre to really becoming a huge piece of uh, the mainstream uh, 
in, in terms of not only, you know, music, but really our culture and how hip hop has evolved and, and sneaker culture. Um, and, you know, how hip hop has been such a, so many artists, especially I think of like Kendrick Lamar or a tribe uh, called Quest that have been, you know, truth speakers um, for our, uh, for our culture before I think a lot of people felt more comfortable talking about issues related to race um, and equity and power and hope. And so if I had to distill and choose my favorite hip hop song, I would say that it is All Right by Kendrick Lamar. Part of this also is because uh, Kendrick Lamar shot uh, part of the music video for All Right in Oakland, which is where I, I live part time. I've seen him perform uh, live twice, once in like this huge stadium show, but once he did this like 10 city small venue tour and I was able to see Kendrick Lamar at the Fox Theater in Oakland. And if anyone has been to the Fox Theater in Oakland, it's like a 2300 person venue. It's incredible acoustics. And this was probably one of the most incredible live shows I ever have seen. And he ended the show with All Right and literally everyone in the entire uh, theater like went crazy. And so if you have never listened to All Right by Kendrick Lamar, I highly recommend it. Uh, he is uh, an incredible lyricist um, and that's my favorite hip hop song. Okay, so like back to more work related stuff. Here's another question that we got. And this is from another one of our members, Kim. And she said, hey, Sarah, if you could give advice to your past self, either pre and or post certification, what would it be? And so for any of you guys that are watching that aren't behavior analysts, when we use terms like pre or post certification, we're simply saying um, either before you became a board certified behavior analyst or after. I became a board certified behavior analyst in June of 2004. And if I am doing my math right, that means that I've been a board certified behavior analyst for 17 years. I actually was one of the first, um, I was like certificate number, I think 1,642 uh, in our discipline, if I remember my number correctly. Um, so this is a long time. And I remember being so anxious about taking the exam. And back in 2004, when I took the exam, I went to UC Berkeley and I had to sit in this huge auditorium um, and we had to sit one person in a desk and then a, a space and then another person in a desk. And I took the behavior analyst certification exam on a Scantron. And for those of you guys that remember, these are like printed papers that have like little zeros and you would like circle in the right multiple choice answer with a number two pencil. So I took it with a Scantron uh, and a number two pencil. Terrified. I had to wait like seven weeks for my results to be sent in the mail. And I received a certificate uh, in the mail. And all you knew is like you passed or you didn't pass. And I was so excited <laughs> when I, I passed the first time I took the exam um, and, you know, realized like, oh my gosh, like I am, you know, on the pathway to achieving my professional dreams. But advice that I would have given to myself um, prior to certification, and honestly, I think it's even more important post-certification, is two things. One, we have an incredible well of compassion and grace and understanding for the recipients of behavior analytic services for their families. We often extend this also to our coworkers and to, to people that we supervise. But you know what we don't do is we don't necessarily extend that grace and compassion to ourselves. We are so obsessed with getting everything right and doing everything right and trying to be perfect, which spoiler alert, nobody is. None of us are. It can be overwhelming the type of judgment and shame that we give to ourselves that we would never do to someone else. I mean, I think another kind of quote um, in a conversation that I've had with a couple people that have been on the Defy podcast is like, why would you, like if you would never talk to someone that you don't even like the way that you talk to yourself in your own head, like 
why are you beating yourself up all the time? Why are you not allowing yourself to make mistakes? Because often that's where the best growth in your life is going to come from. Why are you not allowing yourself to have perspective that like, okay, you didn't get this thing perfect, but like, it's fine and you can do better tomorrow. Um, and this is something that I still, I still struggle with this every day. How can I have psychological flexibility and, you know, understand and be, you know, present in all of the things that are happening in my life on a daily basis. And when like stuff happens, that's really hard or I, you know, screw up. How do I not allow that to become like the story of who I am? How can I say, gosh, I can own that. I can own that mistake. I can own that crappy conversation. I can own that, you know, shitty email that I sent to someone that I shouldn't have. I can own the fact that I had an emotional response to something that wasn't warranted, but that still doesn't mean that I'm like a terrible person. It means that I am a human person. And it means that I was not necessarily being my best self in the moment, but that doesn't mean that I am unworthy of love or, or joy or grace. And so the first thing that I would again, really tell myself pre-certification, but mostly post-certification and frankly, just kind of life in general is talk to yourself like someone you love. Hold yourself accountable. That's okay. Be analytic and thoughtful in how you look at things when you make the wrong choice. Um, but allow yourself some grace and compassion because we're all just out here trying to do the best that we can. And so are you. And that's okay. The second thing, um, piece of advice that I wish that I would have uh, given to myself, especially post certification and especially for all of the working moms out there is to remind myself that my own kids need me just as much as the children that I serve. I think it's easy to get caught up in the fact that we work primarily with people with disabilities, we work in family systems that are likely very stressed um, and that our own kids who may not have the same, you know, types of struggles may have access to, you know, other parents that are, you know, in, in your family or other supports are, are okay. Um, but I will never forget my own daughter saying, you know, Hey, I wish, I wish you would have been around more because I feel like you have really prioritized working with other kids, but sometimes you haven't prioritized me. And so that is something that I would really, again, encourage, especially for the working moms out there um, to make sure that you can, you know, prioritize your clients, of course, um, but that your own kids need you too. And that's something that I have struggled with. Okay. Here's another really, really good question. And We've actually gotten this a lot and it's this, how do you approach your boss about your burnout when you know that they need you? And I think that this is something that happens all the time. We know that there is far more demand than supply for the types of services that behavior analysts provide. Um, for any of you guys that are out there that own an ABA business or are starting an ABA business, Generally, the feedback that I get from business owners is like, oh my gosh, holy crap, my business has literally like doubled and tripled and I never intended it to be this big thing. And it's just kind of like morphed into this thing because people are constantly asking for, for more help and support. And so what that often means is it gets really easy for businesses and especially for people that are running businesses, myself included, to kind of put on blinders. And just kind of see what's right in front of me and we need to serve these kids today. And we have, you know, like this assessment that we need, need to get done or we need to hire these people right now. And it's very challenging in a demanding environment to be able to kind of take a step back and think, okay, what are the supports and systems that I need to put in place in my organization to really make sure that I am helping my staff to do great work and also be well in, in the work that they do. A lot of those systems um, and processes will likely involve leveraging technology to create efficiencies um, for, you know, your staff in terms of how they might write reports or render time 
or communicate with each other. Uh, it also requires, you know, training systems to be put in place. How do we support what is, you know, more and more becoming a very, very young field that has a minimum credential, but needs tons of ongoing uh, development in their skills to be able to really be an excellent practitioner. And in the midst of all of this, you have, you know, behavior analysts who are really dedicated to helping others. And that includes their clients. And that often includes, you know, their managers or the people that employ them. And so my advice in terms of how you approach your boss about burnout when you know that they need you would be this. Staff that are burned out um, that aren't aren't doing well. And we often know the indicators, right? Um, people, your sleep schedule might be disrupted. Um, you might not be eating great foods. Maybe you're not exercising regularly. You might have, um, you know, be more apt to emotionally respond to something versus to be curious um, and be more kind of contextual in terms of understanding what's going on. You might say mean things. Um or, you know, be, be harsh um, in, in your feedback in a way that you don't want to. Like, we all get it. We all know when we're not being our best selves. And the way that I would talk to, to your boss is like, listen, in order for me to continue to support the great work that we're doing here, to be able to show up every day, um, and to be focused on delivering great services, to be focused on, you know, helping to, to supervise our staff, to, to working with parents, to dealing with the complexities of the type of work that we do, I need to be well. And I feel like I'm not. Um, and so here are some ideas that I had. I think Sarah Litvak and I, and Sarah Litvak is the, the CEO of the BHCOE, we had an interesting conversation when she recorded um, her episode for the podcast. I think it was in April. And she said something that was very simple, but also made a lot of sense to me. And she said, listen, if you're not part of the solution in an organization, you're part of the problem. And, and I think this is really good advice, uh, regardless of the industry that you work within. There are people, you know, that can bring things to the attention of, you know, managers or, or folks that are in charge or decision-making um, in decision-making roles. Uh, and that can be viewed as, you know, simply being like high maintenance or, or whiny. Um, or there are people that can bring those same issues to those same people and they are, you know, can be thought of as, as helpful um, in a change agent and, what are what are the primary differences between those two types of people? Well, the primary difference is this. If you only bring a problem to your manager or someone that has decision-making power uh, and that's it, you're just complaining, then I can guarantee you that you're going to be viewed as, you know, whiny um, and not a team player. But for people that bring problems but also offer solutions, this can actually be a way for you to potentially have new opportunities to show leadership, to participate in decision-making. And so I think the most important piece of approaching talking to your boss about burnout, especially when you know that all of the demands of, of the work is like, hey, I'm not doing this just to simply tell you that there's a problem. I'm doing this because I'm actually interested in collaborating to help create a solution and here are some thoughts and ideas that I had. Are your thoughts and ideas the right ones? I don't know. Is your boss or manager going to listen to you or to be able to do all the things that you ask? Maybe or maybe not. But I would encourage you as a professional to really think about the kind of person that you want to be, regardless of the environment that you're working in. Do you want to be part of the problem or do you want to be part of the solution? And it's pretty awesome when you can have a mindset shift and be part of a solution and be willing to be vulnerable and to put out some ideas that you might be surprised that people are going to be receptive to them. So I think approaching burnout conversations of like, hey, we're all on the same page here. We all want to do great work and be well in the work that we do. But gosh, I feel like something's out of whack here. So here are some things that I've been thinking of. 
and approaching it in that way with, you know, openness, curiosity, um, with owning kind of where you are, but also being clear that you're really focused on trying to find a solution and, and interesting on interested in collaborating on that, I think can be really a game changer. And again, it doesn't matter where you work. This can also just be a game changer for you as an individual. I think for, you know, Carol and I often talk about like the drama triangle and we're going to get into that more in terms of what that is um, in some of our continuing education events. Uh, by the way, we have one tonight uh, today. What is it? It's Wednesday, June 23rd. We have one tonight at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time for anyone that's a Defy member. Y'all can just join us. You can get an ethics uh, CE, um, but we're also recording it. So you can join us synchronously or asynchronously. It's up to you. But we're going to talk about this. That's so many factors related to burnout on an individual level really have to do with your own mindset. It has to do with your own skill set. And a lot of this is it's habit forming. Um, it's mindset shifting. Um, and then it's also looking at like hacks, like how can we like find fun, awesome hacks that are going to make your job more enjoyable, more efficient, allow you to be more proficient, allow you to build skill fluency. And that's going to be a big focus of, of what we do. Okay. I have another question. How do, oh my gosh, how can I cope with the transition from being an RBT? So that's a registered behavior technician to a supervisor. Y'all, that's a really massive, massive jump. And for any of us that have done direct service, um, whether it's in an ABA uh, organization or another type of behavioral health organization or a different industry, you know that there is a big difference between being the person that is implementing work that is, you know, directed by someone else and supervised by someone else, and then making that jump to being the supervisor um, and having to assess uh, clients having to create effective treatment plans, having to in, you know supervise, instruct, and modify these treatment plans for uh, you know all types of different patients that are working with all types of different staff and then also layering on like, is this community-based? Are we in a center? Am I in a school? Am I also working with parents? Am I working with teachers? Like there is a lot going on. And so I think one of the best ways to cope with transitioning from being an RBT to being like a, a supervisor or a board certified behavior analyst is working at an organization that has some type of internship program or almost kind of like, uh, you know, transitional type of um, position that really can help shape the behaviors and the skill repertoires that you need to go from being that direct service provider to being the supervisor. Um, because this is, you know, it's like going to use a Drake song. It's like going from zero to a hundred. It's not going zero to 20. It's going from zero to a hundred. It is a radically different skill set, and they are you, not necessarily discreetly taught in your graduate training programs. Um, what y'all are being taught in your graduate training programs is like fundamentals of behavior analysis, understanding, you know, single subject research, um, you know, schedules of reinforcement, different types of instructional design, you know, behavior analysis kind of as a broad concept. But because in our field right now, we don't have subspecialties um, in like the populations that we work with, for example, um, we don't necessarily have uh, also a lot of additional supports and more of what we might look at as soft skills that you might need to be successful in your job. That can include conflict management. It can include time management. It can include your own personal stress management. I think that's where things can be really seem overwhelming as someone is transitioning from that direct service provider to being, you know, a supervisor uh, because you're like, oh my gosh, everything I thought I knew or the competencies that I thought I had, I'm just realizing that I actually need not just this, but I need so many more skills. So looking for an organization that will help to support you um, as you transition into that role, I think is really important. But here's also my PSA. And I'm going to get on my soapbox for a bit about this. Your behavior analyst credential is a minimum standard. And that's not a dig on the BCBA credential. That is just a fact. They, the BCBA or the BACB discusses this very clearly on their website. Um, you should understand this 
very clearly uh, when you sit for that exam and you agree to uphold the professional and ethical compliance code. Um, and just because uh, you're a, a BCBA does not mean that you are ready to do anything and everything. You have to operate within your own scope of practice. And more importantly, you have to operate within your scope of competency. And that's part of our ethical guidelines. Well, like, what the hell does that mean, Sarah? That's a great question. Scope of competency and scope of practice, according to the Behavior Analytics Certification Board, is like not super clearly defined. You can look at the Professional and Ethical Compliance Code. So you're going to have to dig a little deeper. If you're being asked to take on a job and working with a population for which you have no experience or asked to use interventions or assessments for which you have had no prior training or experience, that is going to be outside of your scope of competency. And if you want to do great work and if you want to feel, you know, awesome in the work that you do, likely you want to be really competent in it. So you need to make sure that you obtain the necessary competencies to be able to do great work. And your certification isn't like the golden ticket. Um, to be able to automatically and suddenly know all of these things. That's like the fun part about like continuing to grow as a professional, right? Like the older I get, the more I realize like I don't know anything. And so I'm always interested in like listening to podcasts or reading articles or attending conferences or visiting, you know, other organizations that are just doing really cool stuff. So I can always continue to grow and learn. Um, and so I hope that for all of you guys, you know, especially as you are, if you're transitioning as from an RBT to a supervisor or to board certified position, that you continue to have this like thirst um, to know more, that you continue to be excited about like learning something new that you didn't know before. And you really seek opportunities that will help you build out your scope of competency and really great organizations know how to do that. Um, and, you know, it's available to you. And so I would encourage you to take advantage of those opportunities. Um, you'll feel better in the work that you'll do. You'll have more confidence in the work that you do. You'll have more skills in, in the work that you do. So that's my two cents on how to transition from being an RBT to a supervisor. Okay, let's go back to a fun question. <laughs> this is very funny. Uh, Sarah, what is your fitness routine? <laughs> I love waking up early. Um, and for any of you guys that follow me on social media, you're more than well aware of this. Uh, I don't know if this is like a function of like my age and now I just wake up early, honestly, because I fall asleep early because I'm tired all the time. Um, but I really enjoy starting my day with a workout. I work out every weekday at 6 a.m. And on the weekends that usually I might start at like seven or eight. Uh, but this is something that's really important to me. If you've also listened to some of our other Defy podcasts, you're going to know where I work out because I had uh, my friend Alex Hooper that owns the F45 that I go to in Oakland on the podcast because she has an awesome story. So definitely check out that episode because um, Hoop is amazing and I love her. Um, but like right now I'm in Phoenix. I also work out in an F45 down here in East Phoenix. So shout out to my F45 East Phoenix peeps. Um, I love them as well. And I really enjoy F45. It's a franchise out of Australia. Uh, and at first, like, I was, like, a little off-put by, like, their whole branding because it's, like, very, like, red, white, and bluish. And I was like, hmm, is this going to be, like, some really, like, weird conservative gym? It's actually not. It's super cool. Um, but they do wonderful, like, research and design on really effective workouts. And obviously, the concept is, like, you can work out in, like, 45 minutes. This is what I do. And it's been really fun. And so we're in, like, a, I think, like, maybe, like, week four of, like, a new, you know, programming phase. There is, like, you know, high-intensity interval training. Like, today I did ropes. I did, you know, jump squats. I, you know, did, like, BOSU balls. I mean, it's just, like, super fun and dynamic. Um, but that has been a huge piece of my own self-care routine. And honestly, frankly, a huge piece of like my mental health routine is to work out in the morning, 
I feel like it helps me like get my head straight for the day. It allows me to be in community with other people um, who I really enjoy and care about. Um, and it allows me to take care of my my body um, as, especially like as I'm like aging, I'm like, ugh, I don't want to have like osteoporosis or all of those like really like unfun things that happen as you age. And so that has been um, a key piece of, of what I've, I do every day for like, an, I don't know, like years and years. Uh, so I would encourage all of you guys, if you don't have some type of like movement routine established in your day, start one. It doesn't mean that you have to start at like an F45 and lift a bunch of weights and get crazy. It might just mean going on like a walk for 20 minutes. Maybe it might mean like swimming like with your kids or going on a hike or biking or jumping rope or dancing. I don't care. Do whatever you like. But I will tell you, that if you do this on a regular basis, you're going to feel better. If you do this on a regular basis, you're going to have more energy. And if you do this on a regular basis, it's will get habituated um, and will just become kind of part of your day. And I think that all of us deserve part of our days where we do something for our minds and our bodies and ourselves. And so my fitness routine is a gift that I give myself every day that I prioritize. And it's been, you know, something that's really awesome for me and also a great way for me to meet like really cool people. And I enjoy it a lot. So if you have any more questions about that, let me know. But I'm a fan of F45. That is just one option of tons and tons of different options of things that you guys can do um, to give yourself a gift um, that also, you know, helps you feel good. Okay. We have another question. How should I respond when I'm the only one in my office setting healthy boundaries? Hmm. Well, first and foremost, I think, how do we like define healthy boundaries? And I, for some people, I mean, it's going to look different, right? Like, here's an example. I like to get cold brew coffee in the morning and I'll go to Starbucks and I will tell them every day, I want just a little bit of light half and half in my Starbucks cold brew coffee. But depending on who is making that coffee, I get a whole wide range of what a little bit of half and half looks like because we're not using like a quantitative measure, right? It's not like I can say, hey, can you put in, you know, like a half ounce? Um, you just say like light. And so whoever is making your drink just like was like, well, I think this looks light, light to me. So that's what I'm doing. I feel like kind of healthy boundaries can be like the same way, right? Like how do we like operationally define or like quantify what healthy boundaries are? I would say that I typically think that like healthy boundaries in a work setting would look like making sure that when the work day is done, like we're not constantly like emailing or texting people, um, that we are making sure that people have the opportunity to have breaks to eat food during the day, um, that healthy boundaries are you know, being supportive to your colleagues and your staff, um, but maybe not sharing information that might be deemed like too personal um, or, you know, not asking people questions that kind of don't relate to the work that you're doing. Or another thing of healthy boundaries, which is my current obsession, is like making sure if people take time off that they really can have time off that we're not blowing up their phone or just, you know, waiting for them to come back and then piling all their work back on them. So that's kind of like how I would conceptualize and define healthy boundaries. And so I think it's important to get clarity for yourself as an individual and especially in the organization that you work with, like, what does that mean um, when we say healthy boundaries? But a lot of times the feedback that, that we've been getting at Defy is healthy boundaries generally involve, um, you know, workloads um, and not having a great workload um, or potentially giving people a workload that is, is very challenging to manage within like a normal work day. And healthy boundaries might also be especially um, reaching out on the dreaded like text messages, you guys. Like it's one of those things that like I love texting because like do I like to talk on the phone that much? I actually don't. But does that mean that then people think that you're available like all the time? Yes. Um, but here's the thing. If you are the only one in your organization that you believe is setting healthy boundaries, what you can do is just model that to other individuals. So if someone is texting you at 10 p.m. at night, 
you don't need to respond. What I do is turn my phone off. I do. I turn it off every night uh, or turn it on silent. Um, if people are, you know, asking you to take on a workload um, that is unmanageable, again, we don't want to be part of the problem. We want to be part of the solution. Then you might, you know, suggest some ideas of like, how can we get the work done that needs to be done, but do it in a way that allows everyone to have uh, a real work day and not be working until 10 o'clock at night. Um, so again, part of this is all of us have uh, the power as individuals to model and be um, and exemplify what we want to see um, from others in the environments that we operate within. I get that for some people, there might be like a power differential. You're like, hey, I'm just like an RBT or I'm just like one BCBA out of like 20 in my center or where I work. Like no one's going to care. Um, but that doesn't mean that you still can't be clear about your values and who you are and live through those values in your own actions. And that's a choice that you can make every day. I think like a really easy follow-up question, you know, or comment to this would also be like, well, then what do you do if like where you work isn't respecting your boundaries? And it's kind of like, hey, this is a, you know, 24-7 operation and we're going to call you whenever we want and we expect you to respond and there are punishing consequences for you. If you don't, like, then what? Well, once again, I would just like to remind all of you guys, like, you have choices. You have choices. First, try to be part of the solution and not part of the problem. Be clear about uh, what your needs are. Be clear about some potential solutions that you think that you could try to some of um, to alleviate potentially some of the challenges with boundary setting in in your organization. Um, put these things in writing so people can have permanent products of it. Uh, make sure you know that you maintain good relationships with your colleagues and with the people that you supervise and with the people that manage you um, so they are going to be interested in wanting to engage in a conversation with you when you bring these things up. Um, but I will say like at the end of the day, if you feel like, gosh, Sarah, I've done all of these things and I still feel really trapped or exhausted or unseen, you get to choose, you get to choose where you work. You do. Um, do I think that just because you change jobs, are you going to, or change organizations, is that going to materially change the tasks that you do day to day? Maybe or maybe not, depending on the type of work that you're doing. Um, is, you know, leaving a job like always the best solution. Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. Um, like you guys know this, like context is everything and life is much more gray than it is black and white. But I do think that if fundamentally, if you believe that you've exhausted all other options and you are in a work environment that is, you know, decreasing your own quality of life, which means that you are not providing uh, the kind of services or being the kind of professional that you want to be, then you need to take a hard look at that and decide, you know, is, is changing organizations, is this going to allow me to, to be healthier? How do I know the next organization that I might want to work with that I'm going to have a different experience? Um, and I have a lot of ideas on, on kind of questions that you should ask and things that you should be looking at. And, and I'll talk about that um, at a later time, but I, I understand, and I think for so many of us, we understand that, especially after, you know, 15 months of a pandemic, after many of us have lost um, close friends or family because of, of COVID and just like life stuff in general, uh, that making sure that you are working in a place where you feel valued, where you feel that you have autonomy, where you have friends and colleagues. By the way, that's a really important thing with work. Um, and that was one thing that I was always like really proud of with uh, my previous company, STE, is my peeps that worked there like had each other's backs. They were showed up at each other's weddings, at baby showers. They're still friends. And that becomes a really important thing, that connection piece. I can tell you right now, if you're in a large 
organization, um, but you can find like a really great colleague that you connect with, it makes all the difference. Um, that connection is it, what drives us, is what feeds us. It allows us to be more flexible when we're doing like shit that's hard, when we know we're working with someone that has our back and that we have their back too. So again, I don't think necessarily just like, you know, giving someone the middle finger and telling them you quit should be like your first order of response. I think there's a lot of other things that can occur prior to that. Um, But I do think that it has to be on the table. And ultimately, you have to weigh all of the variables and understand the context um, within which you're operating to be able to make the right choice for you. I'm going to talk a little bit about the retreat that we have planned uh, in Scottsdale in November. And I'm really excited about this. And and Carol and I thought a lot about this. Like, what do behavior analysts need right now? Um, Versus like, I mean, we know it's like you need a hug, uh, like a really good night's sleep, probably a really great massage and like a glass of wine. Like we got that part. But really, you know, how can we create an environment that will occasion um, connection that will occasion, you know, vulnerable and open conversations that will occasion um, skill building and habit forming, and that will extend beyond just you know the one or two or three days that we're together. And that's what we're making at the BCBA Burnout Retreat in Scottsdale that we're holding on November first through third. We want this to be both a retreat, a restorative energetic experience for you. But we also want this to be an opportunity for you to grow as an individual, for you to connect with other people, to remind yourself that like, you're not alone. You aren't, you never are. Um, But in order to not feel alone, you need to not be alone. (laughs) And so coming together in real life is a great opportunity to be with other folks. And especially because we're vaccinated, we can hug and talk to each other. Um, And it's a great opportunity to choose, choose to be in community with other people that have the same values and are also really interested in continuing to elevate their own individual skills to allow them to be well in the work that they do. And that's what we're doing. And if you go on our website, which you see on the little ticker that Alan made for me. It's right below www.defy.community. You'll be able to click on our experience at retreat page and Hey, we get it. The retreat's expensive and it's because throwing a retreat is expensive. Like full disclosure, this is a six figure contract that we're underwriting. Um, If any of you guys ever want to go into an industry that will actually make you money, we suggest that you go into the hospitality industry, especially as it relates to food and beverages. Because if you want to be able to charge $15 for a kind bar, that's your space. Uh, So yeah, the retreat costs a lot of money. Um, But here's what's included. All of your food is included. All of your activities are included. We have special uh, kind of like swag. We have like a welcome gift bag. All of that's included. All of your continuing education units are included. And we also are going to have some really fun um, fitness opportunities on both Tuesday and Wednesday morning. Those are included too. So we welcome you if you are a woman or a non-binary individual. Sorry, fellas. This ain't your space. I'm not saying we're never going to make it your space, but for right now, it's really important for us to just have our our ladies and our non-binary folks with us. We welcome you to join us. We have payment plans that we put together because we get this is like an investment and we want to make it you know easy for you and, and palatable for your um, budget. But we like literally cannot wait to welcome you. We can't. We're so excited. I'm so excited. I want to hug everyone. I'll hug everyone that attends. Um, we're going to have a great balance of like, really hard, good work, but also really fun, great, relaxing things. Uh, So if you guys have any more questions, like hit us up, email us, DM us on Instagram, message us on Facebook, like all of the different ways that you can communicate. We want to talk to you. Um, But mostly I hope that what I can leave you all with today is this. We see you. We're excited about the work that you're doing. I'm so excited that you want to continue to help support um, 
the people and the recipients of your service, whatever type of services that that may be. Maybe it's folks with autism, maybe it isn't. Maybe you're in academia, maybe you work in general education, maybe you work in organizational behavior management. Wherever you are, we are stoked that you're there and we want you to be happy doing this type of work. We want you to have access to joy on a regular basis. We want you to be sleeping on a regular basis. We also want you to be on vacation sometimes. Um, we want you to have friends and support systems um, and skills. We want you to have skills uh, because at the end of the day, you get to choose. You get to choose where you work. You get to choose who you spend time with. You get to choose the skills that you learn or don't learn. And you get to choose um, if you are going to be able to view burnout as an, an, an obstacle uh, versus a problem and we're here for it. Like, we ain't going anywhere. We got you. We are excited to continue to do this work together and we are proud of the work that y'all are doing. Um, and we can't wait uh, to continue to walk with you in this journey. So that's all I got for today. I hope this is meaningful. I appreciate the questions that you guys submitted. If this is a fun format, me and Alan are always down to do this just because sometimes it gets boring for us just like looking at each other in Zencaster with a, a podcast guest. Uh, but thank you. Thanks for your support. Thanks for becoming members of Defy. Thank you for your questions. Um, thank you for your continued interest in investing in yourself um, and understanding that you are worthy. Uh, of feeling great um, and of being with people that also are going to help you feel great. And we're here to support you doing that. So have a good afternoon, you guys. And I'll see you on the next episode of Defy. Thank you so much for listening to the Defy podcast. We hope that you enjoyed listening to this as much as we enjoyed making it. You can listen to this podcast on all of the podcast platforms. We would love your feedback. Please tell us what you think. We also invite you to follow us on all of our social platforms. We're on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. We're even on TikTok. And if you ever have an idea of something that you'd like us to talk about in the podcast or just want to shoot us a note, please feel free to email us. You can email me, Sarah, S-A-R-A-H, at defy.community. And guess what? I promise that I'll respond. So I hope you have a great rest of your day and get out there and go defy, baby.